Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Polities Podcast. We're happy to announce what you've already heard. <laughs> it's only been a week. Rogue is dead, and we have killed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. So, so Roe v. Wade is gone. Indeed. And it seems to open up an opportunity for reflection. I should say so. Uh, on what's next. It's a pretty intense reflection. And I'll start with a, a mea culpa here, because I'll be honest, I didn't expect this to happen. Me either. Which is funny, right? Because, you know, I grew up in a pro-life family. We went to the March for Life. We, I've, you know, written on this, thought of this, argued for this. Um, and the overturn of Roe v. Wade was almost universally within Christian circles and pro-life circles, Catholic circles, considered as the goal. Absolutely. That's right. what we got to do. Yeah. And, and I think I uh, just imbibed that sort of with the, with the air I breathed growing up. Um, and then for it to actually happen, there was a certain unsettling experience. It wasn't like a immediate, hooray, we did it. It was like, whoa, how did, how did that happen? It's unsettling. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it was, there was something comforting. I don't, comforting maybe isn't the right word. It's like disturbing, but comforting in a stable regime. Sure. Right. And right. for Roe versus Wade to be overturned feels like a, it's a piece of the overturning of a one regime and the opening for the possibility of another. And there is something unsettling in that. Absolutely. Even though glorious. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> one of the reasons that I thought that Roe v. Wade would not be overturned was because it seemed like our liberal regime was incapable or at least unwilling to step beyond the logic of legal precedent mm -hmm. um, and the kind of enforcement of what we've always done. And that because Roe v. Wade had been defended in Casey essentially on the basis of, well, we already made the decision, mm -hmm. so we have to be consistent as, as, a, as a court, um, that, that we would turn and say, no, in fact, it was a mistake to begin with, um, and it's not where we're going to draw precedent from, but we're going to look to other sources, was uh, surprising and creative. Yes. To my yes. Uh, very much so. And it, it, there, there, there could have been – maybe this sounds very strange to say, but it would have been less unsettling had the courts ruled somehow against abortion – uh, now that like now the courts are ruling that abortion is is uh, illegal, basically, <laughs> right? Like there there would have been something totalizing about it that would have been an inversion of the totalizing of the Roe regime. Yeah, but to 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 declare that the questions surrounding abortion are unknown, like the answers are not yet determined. Yeah. Or that they are still debated, or that they're still the morality is unclear. That this isn't just a, a, a direct, so it's not some sort of direct appeal to some sort of transcendent notion of human rights, right. but a, an appeal back to the political process. Like it's it, it, this has to go back to the people who make these decisions. Yeah, is it, it is profound. I mean, because because it it I think the regime, the liberal regime, has sought. To un to eliminate politics through the creation of a seamless a seamless framework of rights in which the political becomes um, 
uh, in a sense, obsolete. Yeah. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, like the, well, this has been decided by by the, the priests of the rights of what rights are and what rights are not. And yeah. somehow it's been integrated into the Constitution, yep. which is the, the, the sort of scripture of the liberal regime. Right. And so we, you know, the, these issues are outside of our hands or something. Mm -hmm. But to to actually put it back in our hands is a, a much more profound move. Right. Do you see what I'm trying to get, what I'm trying to say there? Like now it, it is a question of of the political apparatus in the various states to determine the answer to the question, is abortion acceptable? Right. I mean, that's the foundation of a new, those are, those are found the foundational questions. I mean, when you, when you look at, when you look at the history of political thought, the, the status of the child is, is the foundational question, isn't it? Don't you think? Because, it, because it, 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 it is the foundation of, of um, dependence, the foundation, the foundational relationship of of inequality, um, so so a distinction in power, yep. and then what? How do you deal with a dramatic distinction in power? What is the what is the the conditions under which that relationship of of extreme power differential um, can exist, mm -hmm. or what are the, the 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 ways in which we understand it? Are those 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 ways in which we understand it? form the principles for the foundation of the society as a whole. Right, right. Yeah, it, it, it seems that <clears throat> liberalism has always had this problem with the child because the child is obviously entirely dependent right. uh, on its parents for its existence. Um, and so the idea that you could somehow have, I mean, what what we have essentially done is had an argument about competing rights since Roe v. Wade. It seems like we've just had an argument about competing rights, which is namely that, well, there's these rights within the tradition that the mother has to bodily autonomy, to apparently a right for privacy. Um, and then there's also these rights that the child has, but mm -hmm. the child has as this sort of individual unit, right? Like there's this potentially a right for, to life, um, a right... And so what we've actually had is the competition between um, how those rights are negotiated. That's right. Yeah. So, okay, the Supreme Court made it an issue of rights, of, of abstract principles. And then right. the question was simply, well, with Roe, it was that somehow the child has a right to exist that's um, only only in play, as it were, when it's viable. Mm -hmm. um, and then... In Casey, the child only has this right to exist insofar as it's not producing any kind of undue burden on the mother who has her own rights. Right. Yeah. And so then the, the pro-life movement um, is put into this position of arguing on that basis. Mm -hmm. No, in order to get in order to get regulations or restrictions on abortion into law, we had to argue within the regime of Roe and Casey. Yeah, that had to happen. It was the only way to do it. Yeah. So you ended up asserting rights of the child and then arguing that there wasn't an undue burden on the rights of the of the mother. Yeah. So, for instance, like the various um, halfway measures on abortion that we've seen legally, like heartbeat bills. Sure. Where the argument is not 
well, the effect is not a ban on abortion. There's no claim that abortion is wrong and one ought not do it. Mm-hmm. There's a claim that, well, if we wait as long as it takes for the fetal heart to start beating, then there's a technical chance for abortion. Right. right. It's not an undue burden on the on the, the, the rights of the mother. She has a chance she, to abort the child if she yeah. if she wants to. Yes. Yeah. Which, which is fascinating, right? And then totally dissatisfying for the Christian and really anyone who's who's just trying to be good. Which is to say, if abortion is wrong, right, it's wrong for as long as the child exists. It's wrong from the beginning to the end. Yeah. It it's just, wrong for the same reasons it's wrong to kill the five-year-old. Exactly. And the, it, yeah, there's the, the, those, those sorts of... Um, those sorts of lines become meaningless, but but they don't. They were not meaningless within the Roe regime. We had like the pro life movement had to do that, yeah, in order to in order to stop abortion as much as possible. Yes, because and that sometimes gets confusing or alarming. But there's there's essentially two two modes here, right? There's the the actual motivating principle behind the pro life movement is that abortion is wrong and shouldn't happen. It's a moral conviction. Yes. Yeah. And then the you, using the ideas of a right for life, to life, mm-hmm. of a uh, sort of yeah autonomous individual right that the fetus has that can be respected after a certain point. And this is no one believed that. It doesn't seem to me that anyone believed that. They simply put it forward as well. This will work. This will work. This will get the, through. To the stop regime. the evil. This of is abortion. the language the regime uses. Yeah. This is the 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 idiom that the the juridical regime speaks, and so we have to speak it in order to get our will, uh, to affect our will, which is to end abortions. Yeah, right. So, and and that and it's not untrue. There is a, there is a right to life in a sense, right? I mean, if you if you if you're compelled, if you're compelled to translate justice into the language of liberalism, which is a a, a practice wrought with with problems because you can't really do it. But if you're compelled to do it as best you can, that's the kind of language you have to use. Yeah. Right. Right. What, what's fascinating here then is it would seem to me that the pro-life movement within states that are open to life are is free from that now. Right. Like like we can now start to formulate the actual arguments against abortion. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Which, this it, happened on like an individual level where in debate you would have to make arguments that weren't satisfied. Like as a, a someone who's pro-life, your your arguments would have to satisfy the basic presumptions of Roe versus Wade. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now they don't. That's right. Yeah. That indeed. And I actually think the arguments and the arguments that that we get to start making here. Were arguments that we were already making internally, yeah, totally, but couldn't make in the public arena, and that they're actually far more powerful politically, totally. So, so to argue, like for example, to ar- to start to argue not on, on in terms of competing rights, but rather to start to argue for a a fundamental political anthropology that sees relationality between persons as fundamental rather than accidental, mm. so that. For example, I'll just like go into that. Like when a when a mom or a woman, when a woman becomes pregnant, she's no longer just the woman she was. She's now a mother, and now and the child is now her child. And there's a, a relationship that emerges at the instant of the existence of that child, 
right? And that that relationship is now the political reality. Hmm. It's not two individuals with rights and well, the deals and all of that. The now the political reality is that those are now persons, which means individuals in relation to other persons. And so now the political regime looks at that um, relationship as what's there. Similarly, but as soon as that occurs, right, as soon as that child comes into being, and so now there's a relationship between the woman and the child as mother and child, there is at the exact same time, at the exact instant, that woman is now a mother to everyone else as well, right? So her, her, her relations have now changed to the rest of her family, to her friends, yeah. to society as a whole. Yeah. She's now a mother. Yeah. And that, so you can say, we can start talking about, well, as a mother, there are certain um, there are certain obligations, duties, aspects of care that are necessitated by motherhood to the child. That's absolutely true, right? So it becomes the the, the forbidding of abortion becomes a positive thing because to abort is to violate a, a, a positive relationship, yeah, right? Right. But at the exact same instant, there are the same sort of care that is now um, obligatory on all the people who are in relations to the mother. Right. Because now the, the political reality is the mother-child relationship. Right. Yeah, right? That's, that's phenomenal. And it, it's, it's like the object of politics has shifted mm -hmm. from the abstract notion of individuals who never quite exist because relationship is real. Right. <laughs> it's shifted. So now we're no longer saying, okay, here's this field of individuals. Here's some fetal individuals. Here's some individuals who have the extrinsic attribute of motherhood in relation to the, to the fetal individuals. Here's it, instead of looking at that, we're saying here is a mother, which means a relation and right. that relation has obligations. That relation can be judged. And, and, and in fact, we do this. I mean, this is what's... Of course we do. Something that New Polity always finds this problem is that when we talk about liberalism, we're not talking about... We're talking about a regime that's totalitarian in its aspirations, but not in it, in fact. <laughs> and, and Yeah, and a regime that's really fundamentally dishonest. Totally. Li it's a lying regime. So what actually happens when women become mothers is that they become governed um, by a community that expects that they are using their relative power for the sake of their child. So this has one, been one of these oddities of the abortion regime, right? Where you can kill your child, but you can't drink while you you're pregnant. You can't have a glass of wine when you're pregnant, <laughs> right? No, that that's like socially a social taboo where like the waiter will refuse service to oh, you totally. because you're violating your obligations to this child. And the, and the all of society is invested in this relationship because it's a part of the political whole. That's And that's law, that's, a inf that's an enforced law. Absolutely right. right. Yep. Um, and it's also sometimes actually a positive law. But the point is that it's not – it doesn't matter. The point is that there is a human custom which judges all law that you don't get to drink while you're pregnant because it's dangerous right. to the fetus. While the same person who would deny you the drink right, would rhetorically or at least uh, would protect your right to kill that same child. Yeah, it's incoherent. It's totally incoherent. It's like, well, if I can kill him, why can't I mess him up a little? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. No. All right. Of, of course. So, but the reason for that, um, for that incoherence, is because there's a reality that we can't quite get over. Reality is stronger than liberalism. Turns out. Turns and, out. And so, <laughs> so what actually what actually happens is that we we are relational beings. We are always already in relation, and when 
we see ourselves and each other and other people blossom into new relations. We understand this part of what this is, part of what makes it so beautiful is that it's a taking on of new obligations of new responsibilities by nature. Like the mere fact of the relation means like you don't get to talk about motherhood and then talk about its obligations as this extrinsic list. Right. It's like being a mother is to be already caring for a child. I mean, that's what's so awesome about motherhood and pregnancy is that people talk about it. We want to make it a choice, but it's like it's it's only a choice made for a choice that exceeds you. Like your body is already caring for the child. Yes. So now the question is what next? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and so we, we live in a society that actually governs relations, uh, relationships that actually understands mothers to be awesome and to be worthy of uh, an intense and maybe really the highest level of care from the rest of society, right? So just as you're shamed for not devoting power to the weak when you're a mother by being irresponsible or something, universal opprobrium, mm -hmm. uh, so too there's almost a, not as strong but almost a nearly universal opprobrium for the neglect of mothers. So to, be, right. to be in yes. a position of power and to then um, – to, have, to see a mother with her child and to be oppressive in any way mm -hmm. is it's a it's beyond faux pas. Oh well, look at look at <laughs> look at um, just just the other day that mur that horrible murder on the streets of New York, right? Where it's like it's national news. I mean, there's there there are thousands of murders in this country. I mean, murders are just happening continuously, but a woman, a mother, walking her baby down the street, getting shot in broad daylight, is shocking. Beyond the, the the myriad of murders that are occurring all the time, precisely because it's like you shot a mom, yeah, right, like a mom with her baby, right, who's like who's fulfilling this this fundamental. I think there's a real sense that when you see a mother with her child, you're seeing the reality of common good, right? That like the good of the child and the good of the mother and the good of society are all wrapped up in that relationship, mm, yeah. Right. Totally. And to and to somehow uh, to somehow uh, uh, enact violence against that relationship is not some violation of individual rights. It's not like stealing somebody's bike off their front porch or something, right? Like to to actually violate that relationship is to go at the the very heart of the common project, yeah, of some pursuit of common good. So you you argue, as I understand <clears throat> it, that with the death of Roe v. Wade. We are able, we have a moment, There's a of moment possibility here. in which we can reframe the proper object of politics. No longer the liberal assumption that the proper ob object of politics is the individual who's understood as an atomized individual. So apart from his relationships with a battery of rights that are fundamentally granted by the state. So then all political argument just becomes like, okay, well, how do we negotiate the fact that this individual has a right that seems to be in competition with that individual who has a right? And we have right, to, exactly, just competing exactly. interests. It's like mm -hmm. a marketplace for rights. And, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. and then we fight it out. So you're saying this seems to be a moment in which the object of politics can be enshrined in positive law by states to be the relationships themselves. Uh, that's right, yeah. I Mothers think... have duties, children have duties, and the use of positive law is precisely to um, protect those, or, or rather uh, to recognize those as the proper object of politics, um, which seems to me to open up the whole Catholic tradition of subsidiarity as genuinely possible, right? Because when you can judge a relationship as coming with obligations and responsibilities, you can also judge when it fails and when um, intervention is necessary. Yeah, from... you're also you're also asserting that that the 
the relations that form the foundations for political reality are not constituted by the state. Right. So, so like the, right. the, the mother child relationship is not a juridical one. Totally. It only becomes a juridical relationship when something goes wrong in it. Right. You see what I'm saying? Like it is, it is um, intrinsic to the, to humanity. It's, it's, it's the way we argue that we're political in our natures, not merely political as art, as artifact or as a construction. Right. So then you can say, well, the regime, the, the positive political regime so a different you're talking about subsidiarity, like different levels of political regime become the law becomes more general or more abstract as you move up. And as you get up towards the top, then it becomes closer, perhaps, to what we're used to closer to because it loses the higher you get, the more it loses sight of of the particular reality of, a, of particular relational structures. Right. Mm -hmm. But but the point would be that it would always it, it begins to understand itself not as holding in being um, a political reality that goes all the way from top to bottom like the liberals yeah. do, yeah. but rather in having a particular role in assuring that the political reality thrives. Mm -hmm. That's a totally different, yeah, a because completely we're, different we're, regime. We're, we're, you're right. We're political animals. So like the fact that we are born in dependence to people who have great power relative to us means that we're born into politics. That's absolutely correct. And, 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 and the Not theorists, that the state says, okay, here's some individuals and they all agree to be in a kind of community together to negotiate their, their interests. Like it's just two different anthropologies. It's totally different. Yeah. And there's an absurdity in, in the sort of Lockean social contract conceptions because it, it, really, it, really, does, it really does reduce to the idea that society is second, right? The individual is prior, society is second. But that's that is just factually um, absurd. Mm -hmm. Like that's not what happens. And and the good theorists know this. I mean, if you look at um, if you look at even someone like um, uh, Filmer, who's who Locke's arguing against, right, the absolutist, and he'll say he 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 builds his whole political theory starting with the assumption that the fundamental political unit is the man who he says is is like Adam mm -hmm. um, from the Garden, the man who has the power of life and death. In, and to buy and sell his children. I mean, he says this. There's no distinction between slaves and children. He can the the father can buy, sell, or kill them, right? This and this is the beginning. Hobbes is similar. Like Hobbes says, okay, he has this whole state of nature thing, war of all against all. Yeah. All that stuff is going on. But then it, later in the Leviathan, he goes. But in reality, in reality, in actual practice, the state of nature occurs when a new child enters into the world, and he's. He's positioned in this relationship with his mother who has the power to kill him. Wow. So the fundamental political act for Hobbes is does she expose the child or does she keep the child? And if she keeps the child, then the child is now under her domination. She dominates the child. She owns the child. Mm -hmm. Right Now, this is the way in which they can make their absolutist um, positive regimes go all the way down to the beginning of humanity. Right, all the way down. There's nothing that falls outside of it. Gotcha. Right, and what and, that, and those are the that's the basis of modern politics. It doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what branch of modern politics you're in. Right, you the problem of the child and inserting the child into um, a, a, a structure of um, a, really a juridical structure that is that is not analogical in its hierarchy, but is univocal, right? It's the same all the way through. The relationship between the mother and the child is no different than the relationship between the mother and her employer.
Right. Right. I mean, it's it's juridically identical. Yeah. Right. And that that so that's you can imagine what that's doing. That is a that is a flattening of society, um, an individualization of society so that it can then be reunited. Those individuals can now be reunited under a sovereign power. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's the that's the tactic the absolute monarchs are taking. That's what the liberals are doing. Yep. That's what they're that's what they're doing. And so what what and the abortion regime then was the Roe regime was the way in which we integrated, were, faced that fundamental problem of the child and integrated into our totalizing regime. Because, so, because we, why? why? Why did Roe v. Wade? Because it, it characterized the relationship as one of rights, right? Of a relationship of rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and rights are granted by the state. They're not pre-political. I mean, political in the... Rights are very weird. I mean, they're 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 literally granted by the state. I mean, that's what the word means. I mean, it's a law. It's a. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that this, and they are they are negative. So they they're very peculiar because they they only make sense in the context of a relationship of some sort. I have a right to something. That's always somehow implying that there's someone else who's going to threaten it somehow. Yeah, yeah. But they don't assert the reality of that other party. Gotcha. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, they so just make it like it belongs to you. As like an it's individual. somehow in me, yeah. not in the other party. Right. And that's a way of of establishing some juridical base work for rela- base base like foundation for re- juridical relationship that doesn't presuppose the existence of a relationship. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's a trick. Yeah. And we, we, the, way, the way to get out of it is to understand that that relationship is actually the reality um, always. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so and that those relationships have, have common goods that are, um, that are actually the telos of the persons in those relationships. Yeah, they're not like arbitrarily chosen by individuals. No. They're like already at play. Already at play. It's like if you're a mother... Yeah, your happiness is found in the happiness of your children. Yeah, and it's not and there's it. no like other way of having happiness. Right, that is the, that is now your end, mm-hmm. and it's the same end as the children. Totally. Okay, so the the which is the ha- the the end of a happy family. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is now what you are, and there's nothing you can do to your children that will change the that fact. And we know this again. You say how reality breaks in, like. The, the, the attempt to destroy that fact that as a mother, your happiness is now bound to the happiness of your children has been has led to a great amount of unhappiness among women. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a there's a great amount of of guilt, of frustration totally. among Americans, American women, because they're 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 placed where their motherhood is in competition to these other ends they're supposed to be pursuing yeah right and they're in you have to choose and that's a the big negotiation and and you're shortchanging your kids and do this and you feel guilty about it and again that is that is that reality that the the anthrop the reality of the anthropology we're talking about breaking through like it's that's actually the truth (laughs) yeah right right yeah no it is funny because it it I've never met a mother who is satisfied uh, unless they break out of this paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would seem to be that if liberalism is true and that we really are individuals who enter into contracts, that f- that's the basis of um, our relationships, that you would be able to find fulfillment as a mother, right? Mm-hmm. You would be able to find fulfillment by 
you know, choosing motherhood on this hand and choosing career on the other hand. But in actual fact, everyone knows that you can't have both. And so you sacrifice one or the other. That's right. Yeah. But because right. there's this, this ideology that's telling you that that's not the case, it's frustrating, mm -hmm. right? Because you're supposed to be able to have motherhood as a choice and to have career as a choice and to be able to be a, you know, self-motivated individual who's seeking her own fulfillment. Yeah, right. And, and, and that the same unhappiness is present everywhere. Not, I mean, we're focusing on the mother-child relationship because we're talking about abortion, but the same discontent among the men is rooted, I think, in their, their failure to understand that their happiness, that their good is now tied in directly to the happiness and good of their wife and children. Right. Okay, so like you're now a father. Right. Now you care for these people. Right. And that that is your only path to happiness. Yeah. Like, it's, it, it's so funny, right? Because we acknowledge this, like even at um, sort of state level propaganda, we're always talking about the importance of father. I mean, every now and then we kind of yeah, like yeah. stir up the machine to talk about the importance of fatherhood because it turns out when you have an absence of fatherhood, it creates all sorts of problems. Mm -hmm. um, so we recognize that people flourish in their relationships in a fundamental way. Mm -hmm. It's just that in order to um, have a consistent or coherent um, legal project, we have to deny it at other levels. And make father. It's like you deny it, you take it away with one hand and then try to put it back with the other. Yeah. I think right? right. And then you say, actually, it's a big sea of individuals who are competing against each other for the fulfillment of whatever their subjective desires happen to be. But don't you think you should be nice to your wife and kids? You should really take care of your kids, kids. man. It's yeah. like, well, no, it's insane. <laughs> it's, it's totally insane. I, and I, I see this at almost every level. There's, there's this, um, there's on the one hand, this argument for like, yeah, we're all competing individuals. Um, we're all supposed to simply maximize our, our utility. Um, and then, by the way, don't be racist. By the way, yeah. don't be greedy. No, that, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> this moment that we're in, it, it really is a, a post-liberal post moment because – and maybe this is why we didn't see it coming, why I couldn't see it coming. And if I had been more reflective, maybe I could, I could have or I should have because – Roe is overturned. The whole regime is overturned. So like the liberal, the liberal constitution of that fundamental human relationship is overturned at the very moment that the liberals themselves are abandoning liberalism. Do you see what like, – like, You mean in the, in the racist or in the anti-racist movement or is that not what you mean? Well, across what's commonly called woke, woke like you know, what – The social like, justice. Like the liberal, social justice, yeah. the, 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 the whole, the whole – um, the whole feel of our political culture now is one of moral conviction, totally. self-righteousness, absolute inflexible vilifying of your enemy, the conviction that you are right, they are wrong. You ought to use the power you have to, to eliminate the people who are wrong yep. and do what's right. Yep. yep. Right. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a post-liberal posture. Yeah. No one, no one is going out there and thinking like, okay, let's look through the books and make sure that the rights are all in proper harmony. I mean, the rhetoric of rights is is fading away. It's, the rhetoric yeah. of rights. I mean, you 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 saw this obviously with the whole COVID regime and everything. But the 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 very um, the reason why the rhetoric of it is fading away is because it doesn't have the appeal anymore. Totally right. Like like what it doesn't. It's not resonating with the people. Like what the people want is right and wrong. Yeah, justice, injustice. You know, and and that that's then becoming 
the way in which everyone in the political space is speaking. Yeah. And then so there's a real appropriateness that the fundamental constitution of political society, that relationship between the child and their parents is now being returned to the realm of of the political arguments over right and wrong. Yeah, right. You know. Yeah, and I think that's why the protests were so lame. I mean, I really did think at first, and this shows maybe where I was mistaken. Um, I thought there were going to be big protests. I, I, I didn't. Thing. I didn't. I think one of the reasons I thought that was because I believed that rights language still had efficacy. Because when you protest, when you throw a brick through a window, it's because mm -hmm. you're feeling something strong, right? And if you are, if you're going to feel that. I mean, the feeling, passion is always at the level of, of morality, right? Yeah. So it seems to me that the idea that I had was that there is this um, strong conviction of having a right to abortion and that once that is threatened in any way, it's going to lead to great passion. But what I actually now am coming to realize is no one believed that actually. No one believed in the right language. Rights language. As I being think that was just, thing. it was this facade that useful. it was the field on which moral arguments and power politics were being played. Yeah. Yeah. And no one really, yeah, no one. And I think the big difference between the big difference between the race, the racial issue and the BLM riots and that sort of thing, there's many, many differences actually. I mean, one, one important one is just the context of COVID yeah. and the frustration and angst that was in society as a whole yeah, in sure. that in that moment. But then also the protests had this us versus them and the them were cops who were active who who the, 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 the characterization was that they were actively committing violence against against minorities. Yep. Do you know? And there's a and there's a heroic kind of like fighting fighting these armed men yeah. for justice type yeah. of a thing. And there's a lot of appeal to that. Yeah, totally. But abortion doesn't have that. Right. Like a right to abortion is this it, – it, it, it's this sort of um, uh, intellectual or abstract conception that yeah. when it actually gets down to the, the nitty-gritty, like down to the actual ground level, people are kind of creeped out by it. Totally. Yeah. Right? Like no one really wants to be – to talk about it. Totally. I mean the, even, <laughs> even like the rhetoric from the Democrats is always like, well, we really shouldn't be doing this, but we have to let people choose to do this, which is the least inspiring thing I've ever heard. Well, yeah, I mean, that's and every the, now and then you have temps, you know, through various campaigns, shout your abortion, be proud of your abortion, that sort of thing that always fizzle and fall flat because they're creepy. Yeah, because when people see it, what they what they see is an ugly thing. Yeah, and and you see the yeah the most hardcore pro abortion people that switch over to like a hatred of the infant. Yeah, they're, they're not like talking a, like about a rights glorying yeah. and killing the baby. Yeah, and it crosses over into this like spiteful, mm -hmm. angry thing, which is ugly because why? Because it's like the opposite of motherhood, mm -hmm. right? And we all love mothers. Yeah, I mean, like when you see those protests, you're like, wow, this this is like it goes against our aesthetic because it goes so fundamentally against our morals. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because morality is always concerned with how we maintain the use of power for the sake of the weak as opposed to the use of power for the sake of self-interest. I mean, right. this yeah. is, it's the most brutal way of doing it. You don't think about it. You just, you just reject that kind of use of power wherever you see it. Yeah. I mean, that's, and you th praise the other kind of use of power wherever mm -hmm. you see that. Yep. It seems like the, um, m 
you are arguing, it sounds to me that the return of Roe, or the return of the question of abortion to the states is a return to a essentially a moral argument. That's at least the language that's in the decision. Yeah. Right? We'll see what happens in the states. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, here in, here in Ohio, we had a trigger law that went into effect that didn't completely ban abortion, but almost did. And immediately the ACLU is suing in court. They're going to try to get our courts to rule it unconstitutional according to the Ohio Constitution. Uh, so they're just doing it. On they're a just doing the level. same thing that they did at the, at, the, at the Supreme Court here. Yeah. Now, and that's happening all over the country. So will will it really be returned to the le- returned to the legislatures, yeah. to the lawmakers, or will it or will the judges? You know, I don't, I, we'll see what happens. But yeah, no, it strikes uh, me that you think <clears throat> about like. Slavery in this country is obviously the parallel. The parallel because we're about to divide into free states and slave states. Right. We have essentially divided into free states and slave states, although the free states aren't yet entirely free until they ban abortion entirely, um, which might be worth talking about. But I think we do need to talk about that. But the um, when you look at the history of slavery, it's very obvious that the people that were actually making it making abolition happen were not motivated at all by the questions of abstract rights that on the ground they were um furious over an obvious injustice slavery is an abomination an abomination that is obvious according to the very nature of the people who are oppressed and the Mm -hmm. nature of the oppressors like these that's right they're not acting according to human nature yeah, it's, it's not some human. sort of violation of the social contract. Right, exactly. It's an act of tyranny. And it's not that you didn't <laughs> it's not that you didn't have those arguments. Sure. They always happened later and usually in response. I mean this is It's like that's the way you make laws in a liberal regime, but that's not what you actually think. Right. Like exactly. what you actually think is and, that slavery yeah. is, is horrendous. And this and I, everyone has this insight, right? Because we kind of pretend like and the Supreme Court has to do this, I guess, by its sort of charter, but but the Supreme Court has to pretend that what it's doing is sort of uh, disinterestedly looking at the law itself and its structure and the basic norms and precedents um, and then deciding it's a bad law. Sure, that happened. But what everyone knows is that the political battle was to get the people who don't want to kill children to be the ones who look at the law. <laughs> And decide. I know this was one, this was one of the things I mean, that Roe was awesome Wade. about Trump. Yeah, right. Is he just said it? Yeah, like remember, I mean, people. He just said it. I'll put pro life uh, justices on the Supreme Court. Yeah, it's yeah. like, and there was a, there was a profound naivete in him just saying that, right? Because that's off script. Yeah, like every every yeah. the conservatives. I mean, conservatives. I mean, we all knew that. That's why that's why the pro lifers have been voting for Republicans for decades. Right. But it was off script to say it. Right. And and this is why the Republicans have been so dissatisfying to pro-lifers, because like what Republicans are what you have to do. So the translation of morality into rights based language is how you get the job done. Right. And everyone knows it because everyone does it. Mm -hmm. Right. So on on the left, it's the same thing. Look at gay marriage. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that obviously, obviously, they just think it is morally right for for their for that to be an allowed thing and it's morally wrong to stop it mm-hmm. and then they figure they, out how they figure out the rights language they need to get the right and get the people on the court they need and make it happen and you think that yeah. <laughs> you think that there's a possibility that we can be more honest with this on a state level right? i hope so i mean yeah. like what i i think there is an opening and a possibility for us to enshrine in law the truth 
And and one of the great things about doing that would be that it changes the whole constitution of the of the of the regime, right? Because now the regime becomes about obligation as much as about right. You know, it's actually it's actually that both of those things are like the wrong way of framing it. It becomes about mutual relationships, and um, and the and the role of the state then becomes to foster and and um, protect relationships. Mm. Rather, rather than um, you know negotiating um, contracts, basically yeah. um, mediating contracts. Uh, so the common good. I mean, what I'm saying is the common good can emerge as as actually the object of politics. Right. Uh, and I also think that a great thing about that, if we if we're willing to do this, is that it allows it would allow the states to fit into the new regime or the new way of understanding themselves uh, pursuit of the common good in other avenues. I mean, pursuit of the common good against predatory corporations, pursuit sure. of the common good, uh, you know, I mean, like all of a sudden those things aren't violations of liberalism because we're not liberal anymore. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so. And I, I think a pushback on this would be obviously the Roe v. Wade didn't come out of nowhere. It made sense to a certain degree to a people who are liberal. And so there's an argument that, well, okay, you get rid of Roe v. Wade, but you're not affecting some kind of conversion where everyone starts thinking differently. What you're going to actually get is just um, more liberal arguments happening at But see, I think levels. I don't think that's what's happening. Yeah. Okay, so I, this is brand new. We could be wrong. But it seems like there's a once, – once the – like slavery – once the issue is not enshrined in some sort of mystical, sanctified constitutional thing, yeah. so now it's back into the political realm, yeah. then the rhetoric is free to become um, more – what am I trying to say? More, more extreme, more hardcore, more real, yeah. right? And, and as – because of the, the way politics works, because of the political divisions, as one side ramps it up, the other side ramps it up in response, mm -hmm. right? So what I, I guess what I'm getting at is there's a – splitting into free states and, and murder states. I don't know what we're going to call them. I'll call them murder states. Yeah. Um, is maybe a way for uh, – maybe it's a, a political reality that allows the pro-life arguments in the life states – to become more pure. Yeah, I think that's right. Right? Like like because the bad guys over in New York are doing this. Yep. And we're the good guys here in Ohio. Yep. And so now we don't have to mitigate our language into this like muddling, lukewarm liberal stuff. We can just call a spade a spade. Yeah. Those people are wicked. Yeah. Abortion. Right? <laughs> Abortion is murder. So, and why, why would you want to be a murderer? Murderer. Like those yeah. guys. And, and it allows... So, I mean, this sounds sort of Machiavellian, I think, but it's, there's a reality here to the way politics works that, it, that there's an opening. There'll be an opening in the mainstream in life states to arguments that maybe weren't really available to them um, previously. Yeah, no, as, as long as you have to argue that the fetus has this right that you have to defend over and against other potential rights, um, you're, you've lost all power and you've lost all passion. Like the whole... What motivates is is the fight against injustice. And I do think it's the case that in states where you can frame um, your opposition to abortion as an act of justice opposing all wickedness, then you're right. You're structurally open to doing the same 
when it comes to anything, mm-hmm. financial uh, practices of banks, for instance. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we have to go? Why do we always have to go after people because they are corrupt, according to some um, pre-existing legal structure? Why do we have to go after them? Like, why can't we go after them because they're wicked? Yeah, exactly. Or why can't our legal structure be about wickedness? Yeah. Which, for most of human history, that's... It has been. Yeah, yeah that's right. No, liberalism is an oddity in this regard. Yeah, exactly. Because it wants it to make it sort of abstain from the question of morality in order to have the negotiation of abstract principles of right. Exactly. So so I guess yeah. what I'm what I'm hopeful about yeah. is that while as, as of right now, we... Our pro-life stance, because it's been institutionalized in the Roe regime, like in fighting against the Roe regime, hasn't turned that corner yet, right, to where we're talking about truth. You know, we're still talking about, we're still operating within this liberal thing, and we have laws that that were designed in order to get through the Roe regime courts, and we have, you know, all that kind of stuff. But but the, the big switch will be, can we turn that off? Yeah. Can we now go at it in a positive way instead yeah. of in this kind of negotiated negative way? Yeah, let's be a state that d- can't kill children. Outright. And you get punished if you kill a child. Yeah, and also you can't kill old people. Totally. And also you have to care for people. Right. And if and also you have to, you know, <laughs> right. if there's a, and also you can't rip poor people off. And also you yeah. can't, you know, you know, like uh, you can't lie as a politician because that's immoral. Yeah. Yeah, right. and you can't lie as a business you because that's immoral. Market, right. Marketing is illegal. <laughs> so, yeah, Year three. <laughs> Year three. No, I mean like once once that cat's out of the bag, it feels like we can start uh, being political again. And then I think we should acknowledge, though, the same is true for everyone. Well, that's what the, that's exactly that's exactly what the people on the left are doing, right? They're they're reintegrating morality into politics. Yes. Right, and they're attempting to construct their their moral state their moral regime yeah it's just immoral yeah and i and so and so there's a oh it's a, it's a very weird moment isn't it because you can feel how when that when that liberal regime starts to waver how how these things are going to uh, i don't know like like spin apart you know um the different approaches. Uh, it, hmm. Well, it does seem dangerous. It, it, it's very dangerous. It's it's the precondition for civil war. For civil at least war, for yeah, us, yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know the moment that we become a free state, um, we begin within the power of that state in simply concern for for our people, right? So we we are you always begin with the enactment of the laws and the defense of the laws for the people who are under the laws. But when the law is framed without liberalism, when the law is that no man should be so wicked as to kill his child, right? Mm -hmm. And no man should be so wicked as to do anything to a mother that would make her want to kill her child. Right. And this is like a simultaneous act because the object of politics is now relationships themselves and not mystically invented individual actors and contracts with each other. Okay. Mm -hmm. When that happens, it is not possible to look at the state next to you who is killing children no matter why they say they're killing children and not enter into a state of war war is and i, and I don't, you, you mean war in in fundamental opposition fundamental it opposition. may not be armed no no it may not be armed. i mean this is what yeah. we talk about with war right. it's like right. you in in some ways i don't mean to be too theoretical about this because i think we cover this a lot in the podcast on tyranny right, right. like yeah. war isn't this it's only 
in a certain positive sense, something you declare and then enter into yeah, as right. a state. That's right. kind of on the fringes of war. Yeah. 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 <laughs> war is when you see the uh, oppression of the weak, when you see injustice, and you are opposed to it. Mm-hmm. Now, what you do, how you go to war, depends entirely on the on degree of power and yeah. responsibility you have in relation to that injustice, right? right? exactly. So maybe, especially at first, you have no power. Maybe the only power you have is to die for the sake yeah, it's of just, justice. It's just resistance. And it's martyrdom. It's yep. resistance, yep. right? But if you have enough power, the obligation is to liberate the weak mm-hmm. and the oppressed. That's, that's and you right. don't get to be a free state that looks at the, state, at the slave state and says, well, that's them doing their thing. That's right. You can do that at first because that's the reality of the power difference, right? It's the reality that going to war is imprudent. That yeah, that's exactly right. Like going yeah. to like Go, going arms. actual yeah. arms is the wrong course of action. But but to it would be a lie to describe. I mean, strategically the wrong. Strategically course of wrong. It'd be a yeah. lie to describe us as not de facto at war with slave states. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the condition leading up to the, the Civil War. I think. Yeah. I mean, that that was the that became the reality. Right. Uh, I mean, but but the but I I think that that is something we are not we we should not be afraid of here. I think that we need to to precipitate a crisis in in order to in order to have a reconstitution of a regime, right? Like a crisis, and then the possibility of a re some refounding. Yeah, is what is demanded. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that 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 is what we should be doing. And so and so here at this opportunity, we need to we need to. And this sounds very sort of martial and aggressive, I guess, but we need to take up as much ground on the field as possible. Mm-hmm. So passing passing laws, enshrining serious language, doing getting the rhetoric out, like yeah, like taking ground, yeah, is what needs to happen. Yeah, basically reviewing all rhetorical tactics um, that operate on the basis of rights language, and reforming them and reshaping them to be on the basis of moral language mm-hmm. would be extremely effective in solidifying free states as free states. I think that that's right. I think it has more appeal. Way more. Way more appeal. So I think it would be more uh, more effective rhetorically. I mean, I, th- this is something that I think we've talked about in a previous podcast where you, if you talk to pro-life activists who are on the actual front lines, like the, the, the street counselors, pro-life activists, um, bless them, you know, yeah. that they um, – the arguments that work with the women who are who are walking into the abortion clinics are not – rights arguments Your baby I mean, has rights the, the arguments that work are arguments about motherhood yes and about god and right and you and your baby and the relationship between and the the baby's a gift and right. the baby's going to enrich your life and your happiness will be tied to the happiness of the child like these are the things that actually work because we're human beings for goodness sakes yeah and so when we we start making those arguments right and, and making them politically that's going to have more appeal Oh, absolutely. And it wouldn't have won in the reg- in the courts and the reg- the Roe regime, but hey, that's gone. Totally gone. Yeah. Because <laughs> you remember this, right? Where you can make a appeal that went something like like you described and then be met with the kind of blank defensive response of, well, well, I agree with all that. I agree with all that, but it's still her right to choose an abortion. I simply support the right to choose mm-hmm. an abortion, right? Like that became no one very few people ever dared argue for the morality of abortion as such would ever say, I see the goods of motherhood. I see 
I see the obligations of motherhood and I want to speak about the goods of abortion and the obligation of abortion Mm -hmm. is that it never worked. It just fizzled out. Well, and when when it's attempted, it gets, it gets ridiculous. I mean, I, I I saw a clip the other day uh, of MSNBC taught them talking about the the significance of Roe being overturned and like what they were talking about was the economic fallout. Right. And it was like, oh, my goodness, women are going to take time off work and that's going to hurt these companies' bottom lines and the GDP. And I'm just like, oh, guys, 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 awesome. guys, like, um, first of all, yeah, good. And secondly, that that does not convince, I should hope, that doesn't convince anyone that abortion yeah, is. No, the, like the, the positive good you can come up with is that we're going to make more money. Yep. That's what the World Economic Forum, <laughs> the, the World Economic Forum just, just released this uh, – this thing that Jacob Hyman sent me that was like, um, yeah, like mothers lose 70,000 pounds in, in wages compared to child-free women. Like right after the Roe decision, this was this was released. And so but they're basically – As if that's supposed to mean anything to you. Well, but it's, it's fascinating. It's like why it's, wouldn't you just say, yeah, whatever. But the, the pivot is fascinating <laughs> because the pivot is to say – it's to turn to another source of power, right? Because – Corporations in America have a international power that transcends, obviously, state boundaries. And this is the the maybe the reality of what we're facing is we can talk about and we should talk about free states and slave states. But we've also developed a state corporate tyranny that can ship pills to any house to perform abortions. And that it's it's what I'm saying is the you look at like amazon you know providing four thousand dollars i think it was to move women to a state where they can get an abortion yeah, a bunch of corporations are doing this oh yeah and obviously that fits well with their bottom line because their success is entirely predicated on extracting the wealth of motherhood out of motherhood literally like mm-hmm. you know where there are mothers there's less wealth for the anywhere where there's Anywhere where there's a human value that isn't monetized yeah. is a, a lack of efficiency. It shall be monetized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, course. people care about something. That means we could sell something there. <laughs> you know, there's a desire there, which means we can shift it into into material desire. Totally. It's nasty. But it seems to me like <laughs> like that is the third term in this argument, right? You have the free state, you have the slave state, and then you have the kind of global corporate – I'll just call it a tyranny, but like – that will always attempt to retain within, over and against locality, over and against positive uh, legal states. It, it, it will attempt to maintain um, abortion as a choice. Mm-hmm. So, like, it will never. And this, this I think, matters on, on a fundamental spiritual level, right? Because it's not the overturn of Roe v. Wade is the overturn of this. Uh, insidious promotion of looking at other people as a choice, looking at other people as something that you decide to allow to live. Yeah, for some question of, of utility. Yes. Whether that utility is material or psychological, emotional, whatever. Right. Some so, usefulness. So even when your state says we were we will not fall prey to this wickedness, every child is a gift. You have. Amazon essentially acting as an alternative source of positive law that says, I promise you can still look on your child as a choice. You can still practice a practice. Right, because I'm going to put you on an airplane to California. Mm-hmm. But the thing here, yeah. 
would be that if we did what I'm suggesting yeah. and we reframed our legal regime in a positive way as opposed to this negative way. Then they just become the enemy. Then they we, – we've now set the bound work the, – the framework necessary to legislate against that behavior. Yeah, totally. Right? Like we now, now those rights that are being – those rights of the corporations to do these things are now no longer somehow – incapable of being regulated yeah no it's incredibly empowering of of the actual creative project of world building yeah politics it's called yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, i think that's right yeah so i my my thought on this has been maybe more like wide scale because you remember we argued a while back a while back in this article entitled um what abortion means Mm -hmm. that uh, abortion is a certain sacrament of liberalism like it enacts it in Mm -hmm. some ways Mm -hmm. and this goes to that question i had well are we still just liberals at heart are we going to just do liberal things with our states you're saying no and i think well i'm hoping that this is a chance but i think one of the reasons i think i'm worried about it well it sounds convincing in in reference to like biblical history because it's whenever you build something up to a certain sacred point it's also simultaneously making it extremely vulnerable. So what I mean by that is mm-hmm. um, it's not simply the case that abortion just got enshrined into uh, the Constitution and um, that that was on the basis of basically a cultural acceptance of abortion being defended in that way. It's also the case that because it's enshrined at this high point, it's very capable of, of falling. Like it, cre- it habituates people to believe that abortion is sort of up there as a right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how we view the Constitution. It's kind of a god. It, it says certain things. We don't question it. We don't ask if the Constitution's right. We just yeah, interpret yeah. it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, a god. Maybe, maybe I'm inspired. Yeah, like it, it's a revelation. Revelation from the yeah, god. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and then so what this creates though is that if you can then say nope, this thing that was in the Constitution, was, that shouldn't have been a constitutional right. You actually have created a bunch of people habituated to simply say, oh, guess it's not a right anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little insidious. What I, what I mean is if we are the kind of people who don't really practice politics, mm-hmm. we don't govern ourselves, we don't ask questions about right or wrong, we engage in this liberal project in which we just uh, you know, have this procedural model of producing positive law, then there's a flip side to it, right? Which is that um, when something is no longer enshrined as that right that it's been enshrined, then there's a real toppling mm-hmm. of the God. We can just say, okay, that's that's not one of our rights now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I think that, yeah, I, th- I, like I think it's, I like can in see that. some ways, I think it's a grave mistake to simply put things into the the Constitution because it's like, well, if you if you give it all of that weight, then it's not like we can simply say. You know, you either have to argue, no, it really does belong in the Constitution, or it just doesn't have any sacred power anymore. It doesn't don't don't you think it, it overturning it reveals reveals the man-madeness of the idol? Totally. Right? Like it it how could it how could it used to be in the Constitution, but then now not? Well, and, and the, the court right? it's, it's very, like one of the big the big problems of the court is its own. Um, they call it like judicial hubris, I think, but they mean it positively or. Mm-hmm. or uh, um, I'm I'm not a lawyer by any stretch of the imagination, right. but but the sense of the the um, the 
the fact that the court can be trusted mm -hmm. is essential in all the decisions to be made. Like we cannot violate the sort of appearance of dignity and well this and, is the reason why they wear special clothes of course because they're yeah they're priests right so yeah. when you put something up there for, <laughs> for 30 years and then you take it back down again you do have this more fundamental opening up which maybe is part of this unsettling feeling right like oh no it's up to us actually right exactly that's like part no of one is, is exempt from the political work that's that is what's unsettling about yeah. it yeah i think yeah right. it's it's um and it's it's a real opportunity. It's a real opportunity for us. I I, I think there's a real moment here, uh, and I and I hope that we jump on it because the temptation will to be is to be lazy, mm -hmm. right? And to settle in and to just actually think, oh, this is kind of a big bother, isn't it? Yeah. Like, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, and and to uh, and to go back to watching TV or whatever we do, uh, and I think that that has to be resisted. I think I think I think fearing conflict has to be resisted. We have to not fear conflict here. Yeah, we have to we have to square up to it. No, it's the beginning of a fight. It's not the end. That's right. Yeah, uh, it's it's just that the kind of mystical uh, resolution of the fight has been revealed as a sham. Mm -hmm. There was never a resolution. We knew that. That's why we we're all arguing all the time. Right. Um, we knew that. So so now the gloves are off. And I think it's worth it. What motivates me here is that abortion is about producing a certain kind of society. It is not a question of simply this individual fetus, can you kill it, can you not? Because a people who kill and a people who do not kill are different kinds of people. That's right. Absolutely. There's a phrase in the abortion movement that I think is probably the most insidious phrase ever uttered in all of human history, and it's every child a wanted child. So I think the Clintons did some of this it's for a while. Unbelievable, but it, it's psychopathic when you think about it. Um, it has this immediate. At first, at first, you're you're kind of baffled by the rhetoric, and so you kind of, I guess, it's good to be wanted. So that seems like a good goal. But then you think about it. Well, what you mean is any child that's unwanted is dead. So what abortion does is it produces a population that has been reduced to those who were wanted mm -hmm. by other human beings. But this means that it achieves the. It achieves in liberalism, right? Because now the entire human population is the product of human choice. We're, it's literally our best – human sacrifice is our best effort at creating a population of people who come from man. That's right. Yeah, this, is, this is the reason why, why pagan regimes do it. Yeah. All of them. Right. Because, <laughs> because you, if, if there is a transcendent giver mm -hmm. um, that then – Everything is under judgment. Every king, every power, every principality is under judgment. If human existence itself can be reduced, even if it's simply through an illusion, but if it can be reduced to that which we choose to live, that which we allow to live, all the people you see with an, an abortion regime are those people who have been allowed to live. Mm -hmm. And to live in a society in which everyone, your neighbors, your family, and yourself – are people who are allowed to live yeah, by other human that. beings, yeah. then you are different. Your, your psychological state in this life is different. Your relationships are different. Like they can, they can through religious conversion, break through that mm -hmm. and come to really accept the givenness of yourself and everyone. But 
only through great difficulty. No, this is this is why, like when I was m- mentioning those those early modern political theorists, yeah. why they did that, why they had the ability to kill the child at the beginning in their theories, because in order to create a man created world, like yes. where where man is at the top, man is sovereign, man is yeah. God, that is required because as soon as you open up relationality as the basis, so human relationships as the basis for order, yeah. And so you have what you're doing there is is you're making a move into realist metaphysics because you're arguing that the natures of these things have inclinations towards each other yeah. and towards ends that are bound together that are not dependent upon the the power of higher things but come from intrinsic to what they are yeah. and the the higher thing that they are aiming at is ultimately the transcendent god so the point would be that god or the good the true the transcendentals but god ultimately is at he's active at every stage in the in the social hierarchy mm. right the whole the the whole is moving towards its end which is happiness, and each of the parts, as those parts are moving towards that telos, as them, right, right. not as commissioned by a higher power, subject right. to a higher power, right. or you know, um, ordered by some higher power. But yeah. exactly within their 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 reality, their ontological reality, which is in relation to other beings right. that are moving towards this end, which is God, the transcendent. Yeah. So to remove that, to remove those that fundamental relationality is the move to remove God. Yes. Okay, so like God isn't yeah. is no longer at every stage in every relationship. God is now, if he exists at all, he's he's beyond. Yep. He's out there and the whole thing, we have some ruler, however that's constituted, that sort of um, mediates God to us. Yeah. But we only get God through him. No, I mean this is this, the <laughs> this is the story of Babel, um, which within the within the Hebrew commentaries is a uh, nation of child sacrifice mm-hmm. and it's a nation constituted precisely to not need to deal with God. Um, it, it sits in one place, it kills children to keep its population down. Um, and it claims that there's no outside. Uh, this is, this is part yeah. of the like m- mystical mm-hmm. tradition on, on Babel. Um, and it does make a good deal of sense, right? If I look around and say, everyone who is was chosen by man then whether or not there's a god is unimportant you could posit god as a sort of object of natural theology maybe like well we had to get something out of nothing that sort of thing but at the end of the day if it's man who decides on man Mm -hmm. um then god is simply maybe providing us with some of the first materials from which we work but that's about it. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that to live in a nation of allowed life is to become a certain kind of people, right? It's to become a people who are deeply worried about whether they're still allowed. I mean, you think about this, like if it's the case that we can kill our children and then those children grow up, then it means that the, the, the fundamental attack on the, on the parent child relationship is that the parent now says to the child that for reasons of my my own interest, whatever those are, I chose not to kill you, right? But that relationship, (laughs) that relationship uh, creates a fear. Like it it literally creates fear as a a 
feeling and a sense of the entire society. Uh, yes, I because think right. life begins by being threatened, and then by that threat being withheld, which means that you literally exist under a hovering knife. I mean, mm -hmm. you're, and, and that seems to me to better describe liberal societies today, which is that you have people who, for weird reasons, they don't know why feel like they have to assert themselves as being viable, constantly have to assert themselves as being not killable, constantly have to prove themselves, where every defect, every abnormality, every sign of weakness is can only be allowed if it's reconstrued as some kind of strength that, that mm. is a reason for no one to kill you. So what I mean is you have... Um, you have an entire nation of people who have been allowed to live and so are worried that they will no longer be allowed to live. And, and this, this, this is what a slave state feels like. Yeah, right. I mean, I think it would be important to, for what I would throw in on this would be that your analysis here doesn't require a direct causal link. Right. I mean, what I mean is that you're, what you're saying is that what I, what I hear you saying is that a society of, of vulnerable, fearful individuals yeah. is a society that kills its children. Correct. Right? And that those things go together mm -hmm. always, right? right? Because, because of the reasons that you just gave. And, and the willingness to kill the child is itself a part of the fear, yeah. right? Like the person who kills the child – think about the pagan the – pagan, child sacrifice regimes yeah. like they do so because of fear of power yep right and that's the that's why it's demanded of them the, that the act of submission yeah and again like in a, an abortion regime the choice to have an abortion is because of what because you want all the other goods that you that society promises you yeah. so there's a fear in it from the yeah. very beginning so i mean i guess what i'm saying is it works from both directions it's not it's not you know you know there's a and this i think this goes back to just classic political theory that the the moral character of the people that inhabit a regime is integral to the regime yeah totally no i mean this so, this obviously has to be the case right because you had people positing like hobbes uh that human existence um is really the decision of a mother not to kill her child within a society in which abortion was abhorrent right right so it's it's not the claim that you have to have the one to cause the other it's mm -hmm. precisely the claim that there is a synchronicity and mm -hmm. a fulfillment of liberalism in abortion, and there's simultaneously a uh, reification and actualization yeah, there's, of, it's, of that's, liberalism the by the act of abortion. Of, of yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a ritualized enacting of it. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's a ritualized enacting that, that could only have taken place. Um, that's eth that has eth efficacy, actually, like, sac like a sacrament, right? It does. Like it efficacy. renders it true. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because it, it binds us to our society through blood guilt. I mean, the whole the whole problem of abortion is that it produces a nation of sellouts because what it allows you to do is to kill your child for the goods of the world. Mm -hmm. Once you kill your child for the goods of the world, then you are bound to those goods because you have to always assert them as being of equal or higher value to a child, to a, to a human person, to your own mm -hmm. son. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and so, like, we look at this, we're like, wow, all these crazy pagan, you know, regimes in the Old Testament just sacrificing their sons whenever they really need something done. And it's like, it's like a, it's a passing through fire quite literally because you basically, you put your own society to the test. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, I killed for my society, so now I should 
Like the society has to be as good as the thing I lost. And it seems to me that this is, um, this is the great relativizing on the ground. This is how the church gets relativized within liberal regimes, because when you have the tendency towards, and then ultimately the capacity for killing your children, then, um, your various reasons for not killing your children simply fit within the logic of choice right. that liberalism so, gives you. Oh, you happen to be Christian. Yeah. Okay. So you're All Catholic. Right, so, so you your, have some beliefs. That's your yeah. desire fulfillment strategy. You, you fulfilled your desires <laughs> by not killing your children. Right. This person has these desires. She fulfills them by killing her child. That's literally the arguments of Roe. I run. I run into this Roe all the time. Wade, right? I don't mean to or derail Casey. you. No, no, please. But but like I have a big family. I have a lot of kids. Yeah. And I run into this all the time with very simple comments, like people saying things to me like, oh, you must really love children. Yeah. But it's because because the only way they can conceive of why I would have nine kids is because I must really enjoy two-year-olds. Hilarious, because you definitely don't. No, it's like, no, that's, that's actually not why. I mean, I love my children, of course, but, you know, it's like this I'm is I'm not a, satisfying an individual this desire This is a lifestyle choice. That, yeah, right, exactly. But, but, I mean, to get at what you're saying, that's, that's, that's yeah, my totally. point. Yeah, totally. And you can see this in, like, in, like, you know, even in Amazon's sort of like, okay, we're going to provide the abortions is that I think there's this fundamental spiritual reality that, that people are all aware of, but it doesn't often come to expression, which is that as long as you can kill children for the goods of the world, then the goods of the world can be maintained as sacred. So if you are a woman working for Amazon, right? The reason Amazon bends over backwards, or at least seems to, I guess it's not hard for them. Uh, the reason that they say we will provide for your abortion against whatever state law you happen to exist in is not simply, of course, the rhetoric is, well, you know, it's, it's healthcare or whatever, whatever. which is insane. Mm-hmm. But what's really happening is they're saying that we need to be the objects of choice that, that are comparable in our, in, in our holiness in our, or I shouldn't say holiness, in, in our sacredness. Totally. Like, you, oh, you chose to have the child. That means you chose not to have your career at Amazon. Right. Exactly. And when we can, <laughs> and, it, and it, it creates a habit, right? So you can't simply kill children and then walk on through your day as if nothing changes. Like, what it does is it binds you to the major institutions of power for which you killed in the first place. To question them, to question the value of career, of capital, of gain, of our, of our current regime, of government, of the very notion itself of individual self-satisfaction. No longer, it no longer becomes... Um, just a, an odd like intellectual exercise to question them becomes to be convicted of being a murderer. If you know, I question the reasons that I killed the child for, it means that I unjustifiably killed the child. Mm-hmm. And that is a, is a psychologically untenable position for people. So why don't we really talk about abortion? Why don't we really think about it through? Why? Because we're, we can't. Mm-hmm. If we think about it, then we'll realize that the world that we have, we have purchased with the price of blood. And we do not want to be murderers because we're good. Right. And so we enter into this fugue state, right, mm-hmm. where we where we simply don't solve the problem. We don't make it a moral issue. And I think this goes to what you're saying because the, the, the point is that this will change the world. You, you cannot maintain the world you have and ban abortion. Right? It's a regime change. When the re- and, and I think a, a good one, right, because right. the, the regime I'm imagining – and again, like obviously, this is a, a it is an exercise of, of political imagination, mm-hmm. right? 
is that you create a people through the ban of abortion, right? And, and a particular people, because people who have been taught and habituated into a sort of sacralized belief in the Constitution, et cetera, et cetera. So it has a real power. It's not just like a, an oddity of, of law. You create a people who are habitually disposed to value each other over themselves and over all those who promise to work only for themselves. Mm -hmm. You create a check, like a moral and habitual check on the, um, on the scope of um, human hubris. You live in a world in which you say, yeah, 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 you can ask a lot of me, but I'm not going to kill my kid. Right. I'm, I wouldn't even think about it. So I can't think about you as a possible thing to kill my kid for. No, in fact, the, the <laughs> child is unkillable, which means yeah. all the goods that are presented to the world have to be ordered towards the prosperity of me and the child together. Exactly. That how, then, that how, can Amazon serve, how can Amazon serve the fundamentally unkillable child is the only option left if it right. is illegal for Amazon to kill. Right. Or if it's illegal for um, mm -hmm. the Amazon employee to kill your child. No, I know. That's what I mean. It, it destroys liberalism. I think so, yeah. It's a moment. We need to seize it. <laughs> well, the seizing well, of it will be, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a long, hard work. And I think what we're going to see immediately um, is a certain purification of the conservative movement between people who are willing to essentially make the moral argument, dive right in, realize that this is, um, well, yeah, between those people, I basically consider them as abolitionists. And right. then between people who are going to, for the sake of their perception of a larger liberal order, going to continue the habit of making liberal arguments, of only doing things on the basis of rights, of um, looking for compromise positions. Um, yeah. And, and that will become... I mean, there's going to be a lot of people on the Republican side that enjoyed having the pro-lifers as just these dependable voters totally. who are all of a sudden going to say, oh, whoa, whoa, now, we, now these pro-lifers want some action. Yeah, that's going to be... And I don't know how many of them are going to be up for it. Yeah, so no. So we'll see. Right, because as long, <laughs> as long as it was Roe v. Wade, everyone could throw up their hands. Like, well, right? we can only do so much. It's the yeah. courts. Yeah. yeah. I know. Enough. Now let's do something. Good. All right. We'll go to it. Change your rhetoric first, and then the politics will follow, I think. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We really appreciate it. Our prayers for you and for the nation. Um, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.